0: I'd like to welcome everybody to the fourth class on um, the foundations of mindfulness <clears throat> so the just reviewing very quickly uh, the other three foundations that we've talked about the first of course was mindfulness of the body, of the physical. And as we begin to rest our attention on our body of course we notice um, many things about the body. One, that it isn't quite as substantial as we think it is. Secondly, that it uh, is involved in change and uh, transition. If we hadn't noticed that before through all the ordeals of age. We'll certainly notice as we place our attention there. Uh, the other uh, components of resting our attention on the mind that come up is to um, is begin to notice a certain patterns of mind associated with the body, like uh, how much we care about it or don't care about it, uh, patterns of impatience with it, um, frustration, Etc. And uh, if we're resting our attention on the body for any length of time we'll also notice our relationship with discomfort and pain. Which is inherent in having a body, I think. So the week that we spent on the body could open you up to not only uh, what the body is, but also the mental states that accompany the body on an ongoing basis and our relationship to pain and suffering. Then we moved to mindfulness of feelings and in Buddhism those feelings uh, are not emotions per se, they're a sense of pleasantness or unpleasantness or neutrality. And when we begin to notice, even at the first point of contact, whether we like something or don't like something, or how we behave with something, then we catch a whole stream of events that come out of that feeling, which often, uh, in their um, elaborate chain reaction, send us into uh, some sort of emotional rage or unclarity. So mindfulness of feelings. And then we moved last week to mindfulness of mind states. That is, knowing when you're lazy, knowing when you're angry, knowing when you're frustrated, knowing when you're impatient. Just knowing what mind state you're in at any given period of time. The difference between the third foundation of mindfulness and the fourth, which is what we'll talk about today, is that the third has to do with all the different mind states. And the fourth has to do with how those mind states function. Like, do they function as a h- hindrance to the practice? Do they function <coughs> as um, v- an aversive mind state? What, how do they function? And instead of uh, looking at this in a kind of scientific way, I mean, for those of you who read the sutta, um, I'd like to try to put a little of of, of life into that fourth uh, foundation because it it uh, for me it felt a little stale and dry. Um, Because what I believe is behind the intention of the fourth is something that's very, very important to the whole meditation practice. And that is the quality of investigation. Quality of inquiry. Of looking at something. Of pondering something. The what is of something. What is this thing? And... uh, for my own practice, that's been an enormously important quality of my meditation. As a matter of fact, for four years while I was in Thailand, um, it essentially was the meditation practice for me. I just, um, as most of you have heard in other Dharma talks, I was uh, really tired of being programmed with the meditation In myself. Telling uh, me, having put myself in the hands of very thorough teachers in a very strict form I uh, practiced the method uh, of mindfulness without really understanding or without the richness of that sense of personal inquiry and investigation. And uh, the practice uh, dried my heart really. didn't allow me, the way I was practicing in relationship to the instructions, didn't allow the juice of the meditation to come in. And it's this quality of investigation, which I think the fourth foundation points towards, that is, to me, the heart of the practice. And I say heart of the practice because it is the call of the heart, really. Because investigation is an attempt to end the longing of the heart. We're seeking and inquiring and investigating, being pulled by an enormous um, longing, yearning. And the heart, the only way the heart knows to make the body and mind move towards that longing is by investigating things. What is this thing? Who am I? What is my relationship to pleasure and pain? These are questions from the heart. Because the heart concerns concerns itself with with its freedom. (coughs) And to be empowered, to empower ourselves with our own freedom is really the method of investigation. If I can uh, digress for just a minute and, and talk about how many of us uh, fr- at one point or another in our practice um, don't really empower ourselves towards our own freedom. We get caught in uh, using the authority of a method as uh, blocking any sense of uh, participation in our own freedom. We think all we have to do is to sit in some structured way for a number of hours or days or whatever, just put in our time on our pillow, do enough three-month courses or whatever, and somehow that will unfold in some way that's undetermined, Unfold into our freedom. But where are we in that? It's like we're being pulled along by our method. But really the heart of the meditation is that we pull our own self towards freedom. And I don't mean in any kind of striving, goal setting way. It's just that the natural sense of looking at something and, and wondering about something is a very um, enriching, vital sense of our own freedom in that wondering, in that inquiry, in the investigation itself. Now, um, working with the dying, I uh, sometimes see uh, that natural sense of inquiry come out in uh, as we begin to die, because uh, when you're being, when you know that uh, the train is uh, about ready to wreck, you might say, or let's say, go over a cliff, you want to get yourself together. Your heart. I mean, if you don't panic and get fearful, which is the other side of the coin of this investigation, then the heart. Uh, stays on its edge and is vibrant and says what has this life been about? What has all this been about? They try to make sense out of where the destination of the train seems to be taking them. I had a friend, a Dharma friend, uh, and uh, he was dying of leukemia here in Seattle. Um, Died about two or three years ago now. And uh, uh, he had a letter written to him by a friend. And in the letter it said that uh, life was about uh, the little deaths before the big deaths. And he uh, was very close to dying himself. And he said, now what does that mean? Living little deaths before the big deaths. And uh, our hospice was involved. With his care, and he, he used that almost as a uh, mantra for himself. What, what does it mean to live your little deaths before your big deaths? And the nurse, who a hospice nurse, said that he, uh, more than anyone she'd ever been with, he was a Dharma student, and be, more than anyone that uh, she'd ever been with, he, would, he uh, wouldn't let that drop. He just kept asking and inquiring and looking at that. And finally, he relaxed around it. And it's, and she said the nurse said that he just came uh, to open up to what that meant, and he said that it was about releasing life to die, and he understood that experientially understood that life is about releasing the world to die, releasing the world to die, and that's how we live. We live our death every moment of the day. But it's, that's, but the sense that I'm trying to communicate is not the response or the answer to the question, but the total focus, the total energy it takes to bring ourselves to a question like that, whatever question it is. And um, may I say that uh, many of us have died to questions many of us have um, have uh, become habituated to life so that we're um, there's some cynicism some sense of a personal failure or whatever but where is the vi- the vitality is missing here and uh, i don't know how to i don't know how to bring people back to their vitality except through this questioning it's life seeking its own source you might say I don't know uh, how many of you ever saw the movie Cocoon but uh, there was a a moment in that movie where uh, several of these old people uh, it was was about um, some aliens who come down to earth and into a retirement community. And some of the people in the retirement community decide to go back with those people in the spaceship. And then a whole other group decide that they don't want to go back. When I saw that movie, I, I wanted to get out <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to get in there. It wouldn't be hard for me to do that. Would, that Cause, would not be. Because a whole sense, of, um, whole sense of, of wonder that that would bring. So wh- where's the spark in your life? Where's the spark? What wakes you up? Is it just the alarm clock that wakes you up in the morning? And we go through the day and then we go to sleep... I mean I you know I I ask you that because I wonder what the effects of aging are on us One of those effects can be for us to become dull and lifeless within life and just sort of plod along until the end But dharma is such... When we do these homework assignments, they're to wake us up for the week. To give us some focus for the week. This isn't uh, an hour of church we're coming to. This This is supposed to wake us up. And the sense of investigation is waking up it's the energy of waking up and what we do is we balance that energy of the vitality of of the question with the passivity of silently obs- observation so it's not just becoming a type a personality <laughs> it's the blending of those energies so that part of it is a very settled back and quiet observation but with the the interest so that you're right we're right on the edge of of a secret that's going to be revealed like I don't know (laughs) (laughs) I thought I had an example. (laughs) (laughs) The opposite of investigation is having an opinion about something. And investigation isn't analyzing, so let's be real clear about that. It's not, uh, you know, step-by-step deductive reasoning that takes you to a certain um, endpoint. It um, it's doesn't base itself uh, in security. Analysis gives you a form of knowing about everything as we plod through the, an- uh, the analysis, the analyzing. And it's not uh, done up here because what we're doing is we're reaching for the actual experience of what that answer is. The aliveness within the answer. The question, who am I, is not, well, let's see, who am I? Well, let's see, I was born in 19... uh, and then I... No, it's like, what's experientially, who am I? When we're talking about the body, the form, mindfulness of the body, what is this body? I mean, if you shut your eyes and just feel what the body is, what is the body? If we just quit covering what we feel with the image, the mirror image of ourselves, well, it's very interesting what the answer is. It doesn't doesn't substantiate the image at all. And if we look at our mind and we say, as we did last week, what are all these mind states? What are they forming? How, where am I in all of these different th- qualities of mind that arise? How? how with, um, I wake up and I'm tired and then I get bored and then I'm frustrated and then I'm annoyed and then I'm angry and then I'm upset. Then I'm happy. Then I'm tired and then I go to sleep where is (laughs) where is Jim or Dave or Sally or Sue in that doesn't that make you scratch your head and just wonder what this whole thing is about Ajahn Sumedho, um, a Buddhist monk, calls it affectionate curiosity. Inten- uh, intense interest in silent listening comes from deeply caring about something. So the heart is aligned when you really care. You see, it's the heart's aligned in that caring. And it's understanding for understanding's sake. It's not understanding waiting for the answer to show up. You know, the $64,000 question with a top clicking, a clock ticking. (laughs) I was uh, watching a a television program one time about a... um, Nobel physicist who um, was explaining how it is that he discovered the idea that led to the Nobel Prize and he was saying that he worked uh, endlessly on this particular problem and and uh, then uh, he went down to the beach he just said to hell with it I can't figure it out I don't know what the answer is so I'm going down to the beach so he headed down to the beach and as he was walking along the beach uh, he had an enormous passion uh, to understand the problem, but he wasn't going to come up with the, all the old solutions he let go. And he said uh, he just looked over and saw a shell and the answer came. And I mean when the Einstein, uh, I, I just saw a program not too long ago on Einstein, and Einstein uh, when he was trying to figure out how the how light operates he said uh, he actually would become of light, experientially, what it was like to be light. And he, all, he threw away all the textbooks, all the old ideas about what light was that had arrived at the conclusion of that present day scenario answer. And he just said to hell with it. That, none of that's satisfactory, what is light? And the answers came to him. He lived with a passion. He said it was the most wonderful time in his life was the discovery of that. And he would go out and he would walk for hours in the fields behind his house just walking with that question. Well, it really doesn't matter, you see, what the question is. What is light? What is the answer to it? physics question or what is the sound of one hand clapping what matters is posing the question is having the passion to have the question because that's where the aliveness comes from that's the creativity have have you never been an artist or brought something into creation and go whoa had that moment of that's insight insight Cohen practice creativity discovery that's what posing the question is all about you know I mean I I don't know if any of you, perhaps fewer of you, have seen a person die than perhaps seen a person born. But either way, there's an enormous question that that event poses to you. Like, where is that guy going? (laughs) What, What happens in that moment? I mean, they're there and then they're not there. So what isn't there? And where did they go? and you have this child coming out so, I mean, do we just say oh, what a beautiful child you must be very proud <laughs> is, that the, is that the end of our of our question <laughs> of, of, the st- of the summation of that event <laughs> wasn't he serene when he died <laughs> he, was so, he looked so content when he died She's such a beautiful young baby. God, we're missing the point here. I mean, it happens all the time, you know. (laughs) I want to know where that thing came from. And don't tell me it's a little seed. That doesn't do anything for me. As a matter of fact, when you see that, it even becomes more mysterious. If you've ever seen the um, the miracle of life, that PBS thing where it actually photographs a sperm and an egg coming together, and uh, that doesn't, you know, that, that whoa, that's pretty amazing. See, when we ask ourselves or pose ourselves a question, we are opening up to the unknown. We are saying, I don't know. And therefore, we are becoming the unknown. We are swallowing the unknown. We say, I don't know. What is? What is this? You see, all of a sudden it's not, I know. It's We are the unknown in that moment. Who is this? What is this? Where does this thing come from? What are the hindrances? Or whatever the questions that were in that fourth, foundation of mindfulness and you have to, I mean the natural tendency that most of us have is to want the answer okay I you know that's why I worked my dharma practice for a number of years I, I started with the answer okay I'm nothing now now I'll work right to somehow prove that answer but after a number of years, I was dry. It's, you know, it's, you, you get very deep into your practice and you see these things. But so I said, well, that's, this isn't working for me. I mean, it might work for a lot of other people, and I'm sure it did and has, but it didn't work for me. So I have to put tradition aside. I can't rely on other people's methods that worked for them nor can I rely on other teachers' authority. For me, it didn't work. Because when I rely on their authority, I take away from my own ability to have confidence in myself. So I'm giving away my freedom. I'm empowering this person, or this method, to show me freedom, rather than empowering myself. And so doing, I'll follow whatever they say to follow. I'll do whatever you say to do, And if the method seems, you know, sitting, walking, sitting, walking, sitting. And inside I'm just like, I'm as awake as I think the method will take me. But I'm not going anywhere. As a matter of fact, the method soothes you. It can be very comforting. It can take the edge off your suffering. Right? Something's unpleasant coming up, got it. Okay, anger, got it. (laughs) <laughs> nah, old anger won't go to rage keep that anger right here right or you can be get very laid back just you know if I practice enough I'm just sort of let it be see it's, it can soothe you it can just lull you into this kind of sort of equanimity phase, where everything is just kind of peaceful and... But so what? So what? You know, many of us want to be soothed. We want to go back to the cradle and be rocked. So we find a method that will you know, will rock us. But that's not Dharma. That's babysitting. So what is it that's going to wake us up? Waking up takes energy. It takes enthusiasm. Chandra in Buddhist words. Passion. Vitality. We have to care. We think our hearts going to wake up without caring. Our heart wakes up in the caring. To be awake is to have a full heart, to care, to be intensely interested, to be focused. Doesn't wake up when we're just soothed, you know. Sometimes I see people sitting like this, just moving back and forth. You know, they're rocking themselves. Sometimes in three-month courses, you can see people just sitting, you know, sitting, walking, sitting, and you. After a month and a half, you look at these people and there's no life. So you throw all that away. It doesn't work. I want to know what it is. I don't know what it is, but I know that whatever I've assumed it to be hasn't worked for me. I have to throw it away. Throw it away. Don't turn around. We don't have time to turn around. We don't have time to think, well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they're right. Don't have time for that kind of self-doubt. Don't have time. No time for that. It's not working for me, period. That's it. What works? Let me think. How do I get going here? What interests us? Where is our interest in life? And move with that interest. Awaken ourselves to that interest. And whatever it is that is our interest, we keep moving with it. could be our love of the garden or something. So what is beauty? What is beauty? See, everything can take us to the same answer. There's only one answer. It's how deep we want to dig to the question. It's like wherever you dig, you go to China. Well, we just dig. And you don't stop digging. They never stop digging, and then everything just folds into itself. Because, believe me, if a heart wants to awaken, it will. I remember reading a, a Hindu uh, story of some Hindu guru who said, "All right." I offer the whole audience, anybody that wants to waken up, come up here to be fully awake. And nobody came up. <laughs> and he says, okay, I withdraw my offer. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought, God, why didn't those people go up? That's what, I, that's what I thought when I read that. I said, what's the matter with those people? You see? Because I wanted it so darn bad. we become part of the unknown in that question the whole thing wakes up to the question itself we live the question just feel it descend on us right now feel the question descend on us Feel it. It's here in the room with us. Right here as we speak. Don't you want to live with that question? The greatest hindrance to that is resting comfortably with things. Let's not disturb (coughs) ourselves too much in all of this. Some of us rest where we're most blocked, and we just stay where we're most blocked, and we just keep digging very shallow turf, trying to dig a hole in a very shallow turf. It's where we're our childhood, you know, just, I just... There's a mother and my father and it's just... Ah, ah. trying to right the wrong of the past. It's time to drop that stuff. Work on it. Square yourself and let it go and move on. Because it's too shallow. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't get you anywhere. It's like Seeing the whole cosmology and deciding that you want to rest your focus on the head of a pin, Throwing the rest of it down the toilet. It's it's time to go on beyond that. Security is not the goal in Dharma practice. Feeling safe is not the goal. Feeling soothed and quieted and comforting, comforted isn't it. And I'm never going to give it to you. Not that comfort. Every time I see people do that, teachers, it riles me because they're copping out of what their job is. Our job, all of us together, is to help each other continue to move. Not to become stationary and stuck. To wonder what this self is. Who is this thing? Who am I? that's Dharma practice. And that can be done in the midst of whatever life we are currently leading. We don't have to seek a special setting, we don't need a special technique, and we don't need some authoritative teacher. That question arises from our own heart. That question can carry us right on through And the answer transcends. Can we sit for a moment or two?